Tonight's Old Testament reading is from the book of Proverbs, and it can be found on page 2 of your bulletin. From Proverbs, from Proverbs 12, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. From Proverbs 28, whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. From Proverbs 13, whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Proverbs 17. Whoever covers an offense seeks seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. And Proverbs 18. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening. My name is Rob Spackey, and I serve as one of the elders here at Grace Downtown. I'm not normally the one who's up here preaching, but our senior pastor, Glenn Hilberg, is on sabbatical, so we're relying on our bench for a few weeks. Many of you probably had a list of things that you wanted to do this summer. Maybe go to a baseball game, see a concert, take a trip somewhere. Um, Well, I had a list, too. Um, Things that I did not want to do this summer. And preaching at Grace Downtown was the first thing (laughs) on that list. I've never had a desire to preach. In fact, I've had more of a flat-out aversion to the idea. But sometimes the Lord works on you in the background, slowly. Sometimes He has a way of bringing you around. And isn't it true that the weaker the vessel and the more helpless the messenger, the more glory He's going to get in the end of the day? Would you join me as we pray? Lord, I thank you for this day. It is a day that you have made. I thank you for your word, for it is powerful and effective. No matter who's delivering it, it's still the same. So Lord, would you bless the words of my mouth as we heard, as we sung tonight. Speak, O Lord. His explosiveness and athleticism are below standard. And he needs to considerably improve as a ball handler. He'll have limited success in the NBA. These are the words that NBA scouts recorded about then-NBA prospect Steph Curry in 2009. Curry went on to be the NBA's most valuable player twice, an NBA champion three times and counting, And my favorite Steph Curry stat is that when no one in the NBA had recorded 300 three-pointers in a season, Steph scored 400 in the 2015-2016 season. In an interview, he described where he got some of his motivation for his career. He said, there are people I remember that said something when I was in high school or coming out of college into the draft. There are a lot of people with platforms and microphones who were talking about my game and what I wasn't going to be that drove me. You hear stories like this of athletes striving to prove their critics wrong. And it's clear that words have tremendous power. And that's what we're going to look at this evening. We'll look at three points together. First, the power of words. Second, the power of restraining our words. And thirdly, the power of death and life. Look at two verses that illustrate each point. And you have those in your bulletin on page two. All right, first point, the power of words. 
We'll start by looking at Proverbs 12, 18. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Let's define some terms so we can better understand what's going on here. So rash words are words that are spoken carelessly, without concern for the consequences that they may produce. They're produced with almost no thought or care, and yet they still have the power to pierce and to wound. Once a word is uttered, cannot be called back, cannot unspeak a word. Proverbs 12.18 also says, there, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. And sword here could mean a long sword used in war, or it could mean a dagger. And in the ancient Near East, when Proverbs was written, um, the dagger was considered the most dangerous and the most intimate weapon. It's most dangerous because it can inflict deadly wounds, um, but it was also the most intimate because when you stab someone, you have to be as close to them as you can possibly be. And so it is with rash words. They are deadly in their ability to wound, and the most damaging words strike very close to the center of our heart. This is often the case when words come from someone who's very close to us or said about something that we care very much about. Several studies have looked at the long-term effects of childhood psychological abuse. Psychological abuse includes caregivers who belittle, demean, or bully a child. There's evidence that this kind of psychological abuse has deeper and more long-lasting negative consequences than even physical abuse. So research suggests that words do have great power. Now let's look at the redemptive power of words. The second half of verse 1218 says, The tongue of the wise brings healing. The tongue that brings healing is the polar opposite of rash words that bring harm. A wise tongue with carefully chosen words affirms, strengthens, motivates, sharpens, and welcomes. In fact, the language of a healing or restorative tongue suggests that these words can counteract the effects of the rash words that penetrated so deeply by binding up those wounds. In short, the healing tongue is engaged in nothing less than turning back the effects of the fall. All right, second verse under the power of words, Proverbs 28, 23. Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. Proverbs invites us to absorb its wisdom slowly. Here we see that rebuke is actually better than flattery, and that might be a bit counterintuitive. Now again, let's define some terms so we can understand what's, what's happening in this verse. To rebuke someone is to criticize them sharply, or to express disapproval over another's actions. Flattery, on the other hand, is different than giving a compliment. A compliment can be given genuinely from a pure desire to praise someone. But flattery is excessive or insincere praise given especially to further one's own interests. Now, 28.23 says, whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor. And I think that word afterward is, is important here. It suggests that the appreciation from the one being rebuked may not come right away. It is not pleasant in the moment. Not for the one giving the rebuke, nor for the one receiving the rebuke. 
And you actually risk straining the relationship when you challenge someone in this way. I can recall things that people have said to me that were quite painful to hear. But part of the real pain was that I knew that there was truth in what they were saying. And I was ultimately grateful for their challenging words. One time a friend was going through some particularly difficult times. I tried to comfort her by pointing out the silver linings in the situation. And what I got in response surprised me. She said, I appreciate your concern, but this is not helping. (laughs) I felt a bit stung, as well as saddened that I wasn't helping the situation. But I spent a few days thinking about why my words came across as trite and distant. I'm grateful for her courage to speak honestly in that way. There's a few things that we can remember uh, when someone corrects us. First thing is that all of us have made mistakes and there is grace for all of our past mistakes. We shouldn't feel condemned, but rather challenged out of love. Secondly, others are particularly well positioned to point out areas where we can grow. All of us have made mistakes, and I would contend that all of us live out of unhealthy patterns, and others can help us to see this. The toughest, finally, thirdly, the toughest truths about ourselves are the areas where we have the greatest opportunity to grow in maturity and godliness. Can you think of a time when you were rebuked? How did you respond to that? Have you ever considered asking others to point out areas where you could grow? We should keep in mind that the the key is the response. Because remember, for both parties, it's unpleasant. But the difference is that the wise um, receive it, and even if it might take a while, but the stubborn, excuse me, the foolish are stubborn and refuse to hear it. So the irony is that the one who flatters is looking to advance their own interests, but in the end, it's the one who rebukes who finds the favor. One way we can appreciate this is by considering what psychologists call the Johari window, a tool developed to help people understand themselves and others better. The window has four quadrants. The first quadrant represents the things that only you know about yourself. The second quadrant is the things that you know about yourself that others know as well. And here's where it gets interesting. Third quadrant are the things about you that only others can see. We might call these our blind spots. And fourthly, um, the fourth quadrant are the things about you that neither you nor others see. Only God can see these things about you. When we consider that third category, our blind spots that are seen by others, aren't you just a little bit curious what's in that quadrant? If you asked your friends what might they say? All right, point two, the power of restraining our words. First verse we'll look at is Proverbs 13.3. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. So guarding one's mouth. As fallen people, we often think corrupt thoughts. Our hearts are being renewed by grace, but sin is still very much mixed in. So this verse is essentially saying, when you have an evil thought, don't make a bad situation worse by broadcasting it to the world. Guarding guarding one's mouth requires discretion. As we've seen, rash words are careless words. 
And guarding our mouths is about being careful about what comes out. One rule of thumb you might find helpful is that if you think something might be too harsh or said at the wrong time, just wait on it, think about it, think about potential consequences. And if you're still unsure, then maybe just let it go just because you're unsure. 13.3 ends, or excuse me, the the first line in 13.3 is, whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. And preserving your life seems quite weighty for simply being careful with your words. How is that protecting your very life? Well, what is a natural reaction when someone is offended, falsely accused, their character is maligned? In many cases, they're going to want to retaliate. They're going to want to get you back and inflict the kind of damage that you inflicted on them with your rash words. The Bible isn't necessarily approving of retaliation, but it is being honest that the violence that we dish out is likely to come back to us. One commentator writes that the person who disregards this command eats violence. They bring upon themselves repayment in kind for their deeds of evil. In contrast, a person who restrains from speaking ill of others preserves their life by maintaining their integrity, their trustworthiness, and their reputation. Second half of 13.3, he who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Someone who opens wide their lips has little restraint in their speech. This could include criticizing others when they're not around, choosing to give someone a piece of my mind, deliberately, deliberately aiming to tear down with words. Or it could be boasting about accomplishments and exaggerating one's own abilities. We might say that this person likes to run their mouth. They're a big talker. They have a character flaw. Proverbs has a different way of putting it. It says they come to ruin. It may be a character flaw, but it's one with big consequences. A few months ago, my colleagues were in a meeting at work. Several of my teammates were in a conference room, and several were on the phone in other parts of the country. Everyone had their laptops out, and one person was sharing their computer screen so that everyone could see the document that we were all looking at. About halfway through the meeting, um, she forgets that she's sharing her screen. She starts chatting online with another colleague and begins bad-mouthing the person that's presenting. Everyone could see it, including the person presenting. Let's just say that that relationship has not been the same since. (laughs) Proverbs 17.9, continuing in the theme of restraint. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. So to cover an offense, this this is another one that's counterintuitive. Covering up someone's misdeeds can sometimes be a way of helping them escape the appropriate consequences for their actions. But that isn't what this verse is talking about. The line ends with, seeks love, so that indicates that the motive for covering the offense is love. This verse speaks to times when it is loving to preserve someone from unnecessary shame over their sin. Let's say you've been invited over to a friend's house for dinner. You arrive 30 minutes late, and your friends are waiting, and the food's getting cold. 
You're late because you're waiting for your spouse. Now, what would be the temptation once you arrive? Maybe to slip in somehow. Punctuality was never his strong suit. So sorry, she just needed a little extra time. Would it be loving to reveal that it was your spouse who caused you both to be late? No. It would add shame to their shortcoming. And yes, it will require you to die to yourself and your self-image to cover your spouse's offense. But this is an example of when discretion is called for. Second half of 17.9. He who repeats a matter separates close friends. Instead of covering over the offense and perhaps taking some of the blame yourself, this is someone who brings up an embarrassing situation about someone else, a weakness or mistake, a temptation of theirs. It's essentially referring to gossip, spreading wide the faults of our brothers and sisters. Well, what's the result? Proverbs says that it separates close friends, leads to the dissolution of friendships, sometimes beyond the point of reconciliation. Think of the presenter who is being openly insulted during her presentation. It's going to take a long time to heal because there was a ton of trust that will need to be rebuilt, trust that was lost in just a few sentences. Thirdly, third point, power of life and death. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. As we've seen, words have great power. Our culture grasps this. Modern marketers know that people can be moved to action by just a few words. We have our favorite columnists and pundits, and in a political city, we often think of words as falling into two categories, words we agree with and words we don't agree with. Proverbs goes further than that. It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. As we've seen already, the hateful tongue destroys relationships. If this is a regular pattern, you risk losing those relationships altogether and ending up without a community of people who love and care for you. Proverbs has a way of showing us the final destination of where our actions could lead. Death here could mean physical death, but it also may refer to the lifelessness of living almost completely alienated from your fellow man. Second half of 1821 says, Those who love it will eat its fruits. This is another one that may not be immediately obvious, at least it wasn't to me. Those who love what? What does it refer to in the second line? Most likely it refers back to the tongue. If we read that again, it says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love the tongue will eat its fruits. Now, fruit refers to the result of some prior action. And when we put these things together, we see that those who love the tongue are those who appreciate the power of words. And those who appreciate the power of words will eat its fruits. Reaping fruit here can refer to either the fruit of life or it can refer to the fruit of death. Some love to use words to manipulate, to intimidate, to diminish, or to gain power. Christians should have a similar love for words that work at cross-purposes to wicked motives. Our call is to love words for their power to heal, to build up, to give life. Last verse we'll look at, Proverbs 10.20. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver, 
the heart of the wicked is of little worth. Choice silver is silver that's been refined to bring out its brilliance. Silver and its monetary value is a benefit to oneself and to others, and so too with the tongue of the righteous. John Gills, an 18th century biblical scholar, writes that the tongue of the just utters things precious, pure, pleasant, and profitable, things of worth and value as choice silver, the language of repentance, faith, and love, of prayer and thankfulness, things which minister grace to the hearers. This is contrasted in the second half of the verse with the heart of the wicked, which is of little worth. Jesus said that out of the heart, the mouth speaks. The heart alludes to our innermost being, the source of our desires. The condition of our heart is the genesis of what we say, and Proverbs goes straight to the source here. It's subtly saying, don't think that someone who constantly speaks evil just has a dirty mouth. In contrast to silver of much value, the wicked heart isn't good for much of anything. We might be tempted to read these verses and say, well, thank goodness I'm not wicked like some people. But Scripture teaches us that what we already kind of know, if we're being honest, that we're not entirely righteous at all. We all engage in selfish, rude, and unloving behavior. John Gill's again, characterizes the heart that is darkened by sin. There's no good thing in the heart naturally. All manner of evil is in it and comes out of it. The affections are set on sinful lusts and selfish pleasures. The mind and conscience are defiled with sin. The understanding is darkened with it. You may be thinking, my words have not always lived up to what Scripture exhorts us to in these passages. I can tell you that I have fallen well short of these standards on many occasions in my speech. Where does that leave us in the sight of a holy and just God? One who says, I will not relent. According to your ways and your deeds, you will be judged, declares the Lord God in Ezekiel. Ironically, this is where we come to the best news of the entire message. God knows that we've all fallen short of his standards. When we come to Scripture, we should actually expect that we will find that our lives do not measure up to its perfect standard of both motivation and conduct. But the story does not end in Proverbs. The New Testament tells us of Jesus, God's own Son, who had no defiling talk ever come out of his mouth. No wickedness ever occupied his heart, though he was tempted to evil just as we are. Because he was God a member of the Holy Trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he was the one to whom we owe the debt from our sin. Jesus took that debt upon himself when he went willingly to the cross. He bowed his head in submission to the Father and received the punishment of death, not for his own sin, for he had none. He was judged as if he was us. So when Proverbs talks about the wicked, it is talking about us. But when Proverbs talks about the righteous, it's also talking about us who have put our faith in Christ. We haven't earned our righteousness, but have been made righteous by the atoning death of Jesus Christ. Putting our faith in Jesus absolves us of all of the horrible consequences of our sin, because Jesus already bore the consequences of that sin. 
You might say that's not fair. God would respond, there's no other way we can be reconciled. He's made us righteous in his sight. He's taken care of our sin, but he's also given us grace to follow in what he's commanded. Because of that, I'd like to leave you with a question and an encouragement. The question is this. Does your speech identify you with the wickedness of the world, or does it distinguish you from the wickedness of the world? What would your friends and colleagues say? The encouragement is that however you answered that question, for those of us who have put our faith in Christ, we are now free from all of our failures, past, present, and future. We can freely consider how to please the Lord, knowing that we're already favored daughters and sons in his eyes. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you've used it to sharpen us, to point us to Christ for many generations. I pray that it would be effective tonight. In Jesus' name.